Welcome to the Neurology Live Mind Moments Podcast. Tune in to hear leaders in neurology sound off on topics that impact your clinical practice. I'm your host, Marco Meglio, editor with Neurology Live. In this episode, we've got Dr. Ignacio Mata, an associate professor in the Genomic Medicine Institute at Cleveland Clinic, who shared insight on a recently published meta-analysis of genome-wide association studies of Parkinson's disease genes. He spoke about the results in detail, including the newly identified novel loci and how they add to the growing literature of genetics in PD. Additionally, he touched upon the complexities and barriers with gene therapy and the feasibility of incorporating genetic checkpoints in future trial inclusion criteria. Let's dive in. basic uh, uh, question than a clinical question just because you know our outcome was you know having Parkinson's disease yes or no right so we didn't really look at specific uh, phenotypes or anything like that Uh, but uh, our goal was really to identify those uh, common genetic variants that uh, you know can uh, increase or decrease the risk of somebody to develop the disease and in particular the combination of those variants not as much uh, a single variant per se but perhaps you know having several of these variants and I think um, the 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 novelty of the study was the increasing of diversity so you know all I would say 95 percent of all the studies that have been done until, uh, uh, the date uh, only included individuals of European uh, ancestry. So w- really this paper was a proof of concept uh, that you know increasing diversity can actually add a lot uh, to what we know about the disease um, as well as you know showing that we can work together, you know we can join forces, join data sets and, uh, and uh, you know uh, work together in the analysis as well as you can see in the co-authors there were a very good representation of people all across the world uh, working on this project and, and, uh, and show exactly that that we can actually find new things and uh, see really the commonalities and the differences between, individuals with different uh, ancestry backgrounds and how that, you know, can play a role on on the prevalence of the disease, which, you know, for some populations seems to be a little bit lower than for Europeans, for example. Uh, and we think that perhaps genetics could be uh, one of the factors that might be uh, affecting this. Well, I think it's awesome. Obviously, like you mentioned, a lot of the research beforehand had kind of been focusing in on that European population. So to see that expansion was really nice. And obviously, um, that plays a big role into kind of future clinical trials and inclusion criteria and things of that sort. So I'm just curious, did your results change any perceptions about what we know about the genetic influence in PD? Obviously, we're still gathering a lot of data. We have been for the last couple of years, but how does your results add or change to what we've previously known? We have probably close to 100 genes already that we had identified through uh, studies mostly, again, in Europeans and and Asian populations. Uh, With this new study, we identified 12 new genes. So just to add to the the list, perhaps to your previous question, you know, one of the things that we're showing is how complex this is, not only from the clinical uh, point of view, but also from the genetic point of view, which 
again, it could really be the the reason why we see so many phenotypes and why we think that Parkinson's disease might not be just a single uh, disease, but perhaps uh, you know a, a group of of diseases, you know, uh, but biologically very different. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing with all these uh, genes, you know, that are involved in different uh, uh, pathways. Uh, but yeah, I think I think the you know finding the the new genes and also um, you know I think we were uh, quite surprised of how similar um, you know the effect of some of these genes are uh, amongst populations, which again it really reaffirms that these genes could potentially be very important uh, for uh, disease uh, um, uh, progression or or disease uh, pre presence of disease. Um, but we also saw. Uh, something that I think is very important in terms of what you were saying about, um, you know, clinical trials. So we want to identify individuals that might be uh, 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 in a high risk to develop the disease even before they develop any of the symptoms is that uh, some of the variants that we identify were actually uh, a different effect um, between populations. In, in fact, we had a couple of genes uh, where the effect was completely the opposite. So a variant might be a protective uh, in uh, Africans and risk in Europeans. And that becomes very important when you, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, when you're trying to calculate this polygenic risk score, or how the combination of all these variants might tell if somebody is in a high risk or a low risk to develop uh, a Parkinson's disease. And I think that's the, uh, perhaps one of the most surprising was, again, that the, most of the genes seem to be a similar effect. Uh, but there were quite a few where you know the 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 effects were were switched. So so when we try to do this, we're gonna have to uh, take this into consideration when we have a patient in front of us that might be uh, perhaps non-European. Uh, uh, and then um, you know if we want to really do this accurately and we want to uh, have a good representation of what the risk uh, might be. And you can imagine that this will be the same, although we didn't look at this in this study, but if we start to look at how some of these variants might affect progression or even response to treatment, uh, the same thing will apply, right? Because again, some of these variants are either present or not present in some populations or the effect might be different. Uh, so at the end of, uh, if we are trying to use this to uh, affect the way that we uh, treat somebody, uh, we're going to have to keep in mind, again, the, the ethnic group that this uh, individual might be coming from, and then what genes or what variants we should be looking for uh, to really understand what we have in front of us. I'm just curious, from your perspective, is it feasible for us in the coming future, in the next couple of years, to incorporate more polygenetic risk scores and um, get more information about patients' genetic backgrounds prior to enrolling them into clinical trials? Or do you feel as though that that's a little bit too much to ask and, you know, maybe we're not just there yet, or that's something that is not feasible just in general? I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that from a drug development standpoint. I, I think that's a really good question. And I I can tell you that, you know, if you're European, you, you're in a much better uh, 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 luck uh, in this regard. And I, I think, uh, in fact, within the, the global Parkinson's genetic program where we, um, you know, where we kind of live and where we did this this project and under that, under the GP2 uh, project, uh, there are already uh, available tools that uh, is being, they're being generated uh, to help, um, you know, using genetic data to uh, select cohorts for clinical trials. So for example, you can imagine that if you have a 
a, a drug that is targeting, I don't know, the mitochondrial uh, pathway, for example, then you might pick people that have a big uh, genetic component in those genes that might be affecting the mitochondrial, the same thing for the immune system, for example, so drugs that might be uh, helping the immune system. Uh, uh, you can also use the genetic data to pre-select individuals that might be already genetically uh, deficient in some of this uh, pathway. So I think it's happening. I think there's also uh, some private companies that are uh, you know, looking at our papers and 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 taking notes of this and and uh, developing algorithms that will uh, help us uh, in the future. And I say the future, but a short future. I think we're not that far to be able to use it. But again, I think uh, much better if you're European, unfortunately. So if if you're non-European, uh, I I think we might still have to uh, do more studies like this one where uh, we see what the differences are and and we can be more more effective uh, in our selection for for these clinical trials. But but I think we're we're heading that way, and I think we're getting uh, we have enough information uh, to start thinking about about this and how we can we might be able to use this. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break from our conversation with Dr. Mata to keep you up to date on the latest developments in neurology. Welcome to the Neurology News Minute. Here's what you may have missed since our last episode. First, on January 31st, Biogen announced its decision to discontinue the development and commercialization of aducanumab for intravenous use and also announced it will terminate its post-marketing confirmatory phase 4 envision study. The decision was not based on efficacy or safety concerns, but rather to reallocate funds towards Biogen's Alzheimer's disease pipeline, which includes the recently approved lecanemab. Days later, the National Association of Epilepsy Centers published recommendations in neurology of the essential services needed for a comprehensive epilepsy center and the optimal manner for their delivery to advance the quality of care. The multidisciplinary panel reached a consensus on 52 recommendations covering services from specialized epilepsy centers in both the inpatient and outpatient settings in key areas including epilepsy monitoring, unit care, surgery, neuroimaging, neuropsychology, genetics, and outpatient care. And finally, on February 6th, the FDA cleared Encoded Therapeutics Investigational New Drug Application for ETX-101 an AAV9-mediated candidate gene regulation therapy for the treatment of SCN1A Dravet syndrome. The company plans to initiate a Phase 1-2 clinical trial, otherwise known as Endeavor, a two-part dose escalation study in the U.S. to assess the therapy in patients between the ages of 6 months to 3 years with SC1A Dravet syndrome in the first half of 2024. For more information about these stories, head to neurologylive.com, where you can check out the corresponding link in the show notes. And now, back to Dr. Mata. Dr. Mata, I'm curious from your perspective, um, obviously we're talking about genetics so much, and we mentioned gene therapy, or I mentioned gene therapy at the beginning of this conversation. So in your opinion, is gene therapy something that is actually feasible for this patient population, or does it seem too complex considering how many genes there are and just the fact that this is such a multifactorial and uh, very, very complex disease? So just talk a little bit about some of the complexities with gene therapy and just your general thoughts on them thus far. This is a hot topic and it, it gets you know brought out by patients all the time when I give uh, you know talks to, to patients just because they read on the news, there's so much hype 
about these kind of therapies that when you say, okay, well, it looks like there's some genetic component in Parkinson's disease, can we use this knowledge to, uh, you know, to treat it? Um, and, uh, and I think, as you said, it's going to be hard. And, and I just wanted to highlight the fact that, you know, here we were looking at mostly sporadic patients. Uh, so people that didn't have any family history and again, looking for common variants that might uh, modify the risk. Obviously, there's a, a much smaller group of patients that have a family history. In some of them, we have uh, been able to identify the genes that cause uh, uh, the disease. And in, in some cases, is one variant in one particular gene that is really being the, the cause. Uh, and that those two groups are very different, right? As you said, you, you know, we're talking about this multigenic uh, uh, um, forms of the disease, which again, is the majority of patients are in that bucket. Uh, but there are others uh, where perhaps one of the genes is the main gene that is driving this. It doesn't mean that it's not modified by other factors, but, you know, maybe 80% or 90% of the phenotype is uh, caused by this gene. And I think gene therapy might be different on those two, right? So, for example, you can imagine that uh, uh, trying to fix uh, GBA or LER2, one of the familial genes, uh, uh, might be a little bit easier than in these sporadic forms. Uh, how? how and, and, and I think even for the familial forms, uh, you know, gene therapy is going to be hard just because these genes in many, uh, for many of them, they have different functions. And 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 just because you reduce the kindness activity, for example, in LER2, uh, you know, we, we're not sure what that's going to do if you do that in other cells, right? So it might help the brain cells, but, um, you know, have, having to do this only in the brain is, is kind of hard. Um, but the, the way I think in the in the most common forms of Parkinson's, which again are the sporadic, the multi-gene uh, ones, I, I think gene therapy, the only way I can see this helping, uh, which I think is the way that most people are looking into it, is looking at, uh, for example, for example, uh, increasing health uh, in the neurons in general. So not trying to fix every single gene that might be wrong, but trying to establish some kind of environment that might help uh, uh, the, the, some of these neurons to deal with these biological issues that they might be uh, having. And uh, there's a lot of studies uh, using uh, some, some of the neurotrophic uh, factors like GDNF, uh, where perhaps, you know, putting that into uh, individuals' brains might, again, give uh, the neurons the extra boost they might have to be able to fight with synuclein being aggregated or the mitochondria not functioning at the level that it should be. Um, and there, there are some positive results coming out. A lot of it comes from in vitro models or animal models, which, uh, you know, 90% of the times do not translate very well to humans, unfortunately. But, but I think you know, we have to try everything, right? And then see see what works. So I, I wouldn't discard it. I I, I don't think it's going to be the main uh, 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 way to treat Parkinson's in the in the future. But again, it might work for for some people. Uh, uh, and and then you know we might be able to uh, in general improve uh, brain health uh, with some of these other uh, um, uh, therapies. The only thing is that I don't know how many people especially if they don't have the disease, are going to be willing to inject uh, something in their brain, uh, you know, to be able to protect the neurons, which that's one of the things that we would have to do, right? You can't really do this when the individual is already developing, uh, have developed the disease and 80% of the neurons are already dead, but you have to do this preventively. Uh, and, and I think uh, unless we come up with a solution that uh, this gene therapy is done through, you know, inhalers or some other uh, mechanism, I don't think injecting things into people's brain is going to be uh, an option that people are going to pick uh, straight away, I think. You mentioned that you found 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 12 new or newish sort of genes, I guess, through your paper. So where do we go from here? What's sort of the next steps in unraveling more about these genes and from your own personal perspective and maybe just the, you know, how else the field can help out as well? Sure, yeah. So I, I mentioned the 12 genes, but one of the things that I, I was most excited about the results that we got was actually the fine mapping uh, uh, work that we did. And by fine mapping, I mean that, you know, when you have a GWAS hit, so when you have a, a you know, an association in one of these uh, uh, studies that we do with 2 million variants and, you know, thousands and thousands of patients, uh, a lot of the times it's really hard to figure out not, not even the, the variant, but the gene where the variant might fall. A lot of these variants are intronic, so that means that they're not really uh, your normal uh, um, uh, genetic disease variant where, oh, it changed the protein and we really understand what the mechanism might be behind. But these, these variants sometimes are not the causal variant, it might be something that is in linkage to equilibrium. So it's just tied genetically to the causal variant, but what we're seeing is not really the true variant. Uh, so with fine mapping, what we try to do is actually identify what variant and what gene is the one that is causing this association with uh, with Parkinson's risk. So uh, in our study, we were actually be you know we were able to do this for six of the genes where we reduce the number of variants. Sometimes we have anywhere between twenty to a hundred different variants in the region that we don't really know which one it is. Uh, in six of the genes uh, that we were were already known for Parkinson's disease, we managed to find the variant that we think might be the 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 causal of the association. And I think that's going to uh, allow people that work in the functional world to be able to test those variants, understand the mechanism by which they are causing uh, neuronal death, and then, you know, be able to target for, for therapies. I think that's going to be uh, very key. And then uh, in uh, four of the other genes, we uh, in four of the other loci, uh, and loss I means that it's a it's a region long enough that usually doesn't involve only one gene. Uh, so in four of those, we were uh, able to identify 25 genes where it looks like uh, their expression is tied to Parkinson's risk. So not only there's a genetic uh, association there, but there's also a functional uh, association in terms of uh, uh, expression in the brain and how it changes between Parkinson's patients and and controls. And again, that's a, another list of genes that we might want to follow up again, really under understand what the mechanism is uh, and try to use those as, as targets. So I, I think those are, are going to be the, you know, the key uh, players where we might want to, um, you know, act uh, um, at, eventually or, 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 you know, quick. Um, and then, and then, yeah, they, I think then uh, I've really identified the different pathways uh, that are, are associated with, uh, uh, with the disease and, and really think about that as, as, um, you know, we talk about precision or personalized medicine a lot, uh, which a lot of clinicians really identify with, oh, there's going to be one treatment per uh, patient that I see. Uh, and uh, with the number of genes that we have and the number of patients that, that we have, um, that's going to be impossible. I think at the end, what is going to happen is that there's going to be perhaps biological um, uh, uh, uh targeted treatments where, again, you might be targeting the mitochondria or the vesicular uh, transport or the immune system. And then there might be five or six different uh, uh, treatments that depending on your genetic makeup, then you might get a combination of all those, depending again, if you're, uh, what what kind of pathways are the ones that you're trying to uh, try to fix. And I think that's, that's really the, the way that we should 
uh, you know, move forward and the way that we might be able to use this information to, um, you know, to treat and hopefully uh, cure the disease. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Neurology Live Mind Moments podcast. To support the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, for more neurology news and expert-driven content, visit neurologylive.com.